0: All right, so today we're, we're kicking off this four-week series on how the gospel informs our relationships, and for some reason, many weeks ago, I thought that it would be a good idea to talk about singleness today, and I've been regretting it all week. Uh, like this is, this is going to be a, a different kind of sermon for, for a couple reasons. The first is normally, right, we have a passage and we walk through that passage talking about, uh, what, what it has to say to us. This is going to be, it's going to be kind of all over the place, uh, because there, there aren't a lot of specific places in scripture that talk about singleness kind of in a, in a holistic way. And so instead, through this series, uh, we're going to be talking about, like, what is, what does the Bible as a whole have to say to this issue? And so we're going to do that with singleness. Another reason why this is, is, is a weird sermon is because, uh, part of our, our philosophy of teaching and preaching at BC is that we don't ever want it to be a, the person up here has the answer to give to the people out there. Like, that's, that's not how this works. Instead, it's, hey, the Bible has an answer for, for all of us. And so normally it's, hey, these are things that I'm, I'm applying to me also. But when it comes to singleness, like, I can't apply some of the things to myself because I'm not single anymore. And so instead, this is going to be like 10 ways to find a spouse because I've already done it. So just listen <laughs> to me. It's not, it's not going to be that. That's not what we're after. Uh, instead, my goal is to do two things this morning. First is to, to give us all, married or non-married, uh, some, some thoughts from Scripture about what it has to say to us about how we should think about singleness. Uh, and also, also marriage in there some. We're talking about that next week, but we're going to talk about it some today too. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, at the very end. I'm going to try to give some some specific application to to single people on on ways that I think you can benefit specifically from God's word this morning. There'll be stuff in there for us as non-single people also to benefit from, but but specifically that. So that's that's what we're after. So we're going to start with Genesis chapter two. I'm going to read verses one through 18 here. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man toward the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, but Delium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, what we need to see here in Genesis 2 is that it is not good for man to be alone. If we had read Genesis one, what we would have seen is God goes through making all these things. Is there's this recurring refrain that it's it's good. Later, it's very good. Everything up to this point in God's creation was either good or very good. There wasn't anything that was not good until we get to this point, and then it's not good that Adam is. Alone, So man, people, being alone is a not good thing. If we would keep reading, we would find out that the way God solved this problem for Adam is that he gave him a wife. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So God fixed that by giving him someone so that he wouldn't be alone. But, but listen up. Hear this. Marriage is not the only good solution to being alone. How do we know this? Was Jesus married? No. Was his life good? Was, was, was he good? Yes. Right, uh, He lived in a state of goodness. It's not good for man to be alone. And marriage is one way for man to not be alone. But, but there are other ways. We, it's not good for man to be alone. Not, not because we were created for marriage. But because we were created for community. God exists in community. He made us in his image. And we were created for community also. With him and with other people. Single people. It's not good for you to be alone. But the good news is that you're not alone alone you're not on your own like even that word single right it means that means kind of means alone but but we're not alone because our identity isn't solely comprised of our marital status i am married but i'm also a son and a dad And a brother, and a cousin, and an uncle, and a friend, and a grandson, and a pastor, and 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 other things. Uh, If if Jen just got hit by a bus, I would be sad. (laughs) I would be really sad. I'd be I'd be devastated. But I wouldn't be alone. I wouldn't be married anymore, but I wouldn't be alone, because all of you, I hope, would rally around me. Um, if you're single, you might feel like you're alone. I would feel like I was alone if that happened, but, but, but you're not alone, because God sent Jesus to to live a life in your place, to die a death in your place, to bring you back into relationship with himself and back into relationship with with all of us. So don't believe the lie that you're alone and don't let people around you think that they are alone. Um, So non-single people specifically, right? We probably feel less alone. Because we have people that live with us, some of whom make a whole lot of noise. Because of that, we bear more of the responsibility to love single people well. Have them over for dinner. Invite them into your homes. Invite them into your lives. Invite them into their family. Make sure that they know that they're not alone. Um, So, thought one is it's not good for man to be alone. We are created for community, and being single doesn't mean you're alone. It doesn't mean you have to get married so that you're not alone. That's thought one. Thought two is that marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. So first, what I want to say here is I want to point out that in other religions and other viewpoints, singleness is seen as a bad thing. That's not the way it is in Christianity, even though we maybe act that way sometimes. So we'll start with Judaism. Here's a quote by this article on Desiring God. Singleness was despised by God's people of old. In the garden, God gave Adam a command and blessing that the Jews would come to take very seriously. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Childbearing was a sign of God's blessing, whereas barrenness was a sign of a curse. To remain single was to disobey this command to be fruitful and to undermine God's blessing. You're not alone in your late night frustrations. Singleness was labeled as a curse for many in the Old Testament. Singleness was seen as a dead end. To be single was to functionally blot out one's own name from under heaven because you wouldn't continue your lineage through your children. The prophet Jeremiah... One of the few singles mentioned, one of the few singles mentioned in the Old Testament was commanded to be single as a sign of impending doom for Israel. Right? The only like single person highlight in the Old Testament is this guy's going to stay single so that you know bad things are about to happen. Uh, in Islam, there's some debate about whether it's, it's okay for a Muslim to remain single, but, but either way, it's viewed very negatively. The Quran says something to the effect of, of, in getting married, a man fulfills half his religion. So you get married, boom, you're halfway done. Uh, it also stresses, Islam, that, uh, that there won't be any single people in paradise, That doesn't mean that you can't go there if you're not married. It means that, like, you die single and wake up married, usually to multiple spouses. Um, In Mormon doctrine, you can't make it to the highest levels of heaven unless you're married. Single people, you're relegated to the lower levels of heaven. Um, Christianity does not teach that. As we go through a couple more passages, we're going to see that that singleness isn't just a not bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a celebrated thing. Um, Yes, we still follow the Old Testament. Yes, the creation mandate applies. Yes, we want to be fruitful and multiply. We want to fill the earth and subdue it. But marriage and children is not the only way to do that. How do we know that? Was Jesus married? I'll ask you again. No. Did he have children? No. Was Jesus fruitful? Did he multiply? Yes, right? He he made disciples. Arguably, Jesus led the the most fruitful life ever. Like, we're all here because of his fruitful life. And so, if we say that the only way to to, to fulfill that command is by getting married and having kids, then, then Jesus evidently didn't do that well, he fell short. Further, Jesus makes it pretty clear in the Gospels that there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Listen to this passage from Matthew 22, 23 through 33. The same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies, having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her as a wife. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven." And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they they craft this kind of ridiculous hypothetical situation and come to Jesus so that they can try to kind of disprove the resurrection. They want to to make what Jesus is teaching, what he's saying about the resurrection to seem like nonsense. So they come up with this this weird situation. But but Jesus says to them, like, you guys are actually the ones that are foolish because you don't know either the power of God or the scriptures. So the scriptures clearly uh, teach the reality of the resurrection. And they don't know the power of God because they don't believe that God can create a world so different from this one, so, so transcendent and better than this one, that what they're talking about wouldn't apply. And in doing so, he, he talks about marriage and that we shouldn't expect the next life to be exactly like this one. And while, you know, this might be a sad thought for married people, like right, to think, oh, my spouse isn't going to be my spouse in the new heavens and the new earth, um, the reality is it's going to be better. Right? We, don't know, we don't know how that's going to work, and, and I don't think we should base all our theology on what Jesus says in this, this kind of weird hypothetical situation, but it's going to be better. The goal of the Christian life is not to find a spouse and live happily ever after in heaven. The goal of the Christian life is to find Jesus, And to grow deeper and deeper in relationship with him and live happily ever after with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? If other people that we know here are there then, like, great. But Jesus will be there. And that's what we're really after. When we think about the way singleness is viewed in, in other religions and other cultures. The reality is we, we often talk all the time about how Christian marriage is countercultural. You know, like, oh, those, those liberals out there, they're trying to destroy marriage for us. And we got we to gotta show how our marriages are, are strong and blah, blah, blah. And we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> but Christian singleness is countercultural too. So, it's not good to be alone. But the good news is single people aren't alone. Thought two, marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Thought three is that being single does not mean that you're not as far along in the Christian life as married people. I think this is important because we we often think about discipleship as if it only flows backwards. Right, you, you can only be discipled by someone that's that's further along in life than you, and uh, you know it, it never works the other way. Right, people who are out of college they can disciple people that are in college. People that are married can disciple people that aren't married. People that have kids can disciple people that don't have kids. People that have older kids can disciple people that have younger kids. But it it never works the other way. That's just nonsense. That's, that's arrogance and pride if we think that's really how it works. First of all, right, what's the most well-known passage in Scripture on Christian marriage? It's probably Ephesians 5, right? If we, we've surveyed everybody family feud style, like that's probably number one. But was Paul married maybe at some point in his life, but not during the time of the New Testament. As it's going to be clear from the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 7. So thanks, Paul, for the thoughts on marriage, but you're not in it with us, so you can't really talk to us. We also need to throw out all the stuff on parenting because he didn't seem to have kids, so he, he can't tell us how to parent our kids since he doesn't have any. Jesus, you know, he had some good thoughts on both of those things, but Obviously, we cannot follow his example, since we are further along in life than him. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus only lived to 33. I'm 40, so. <laughs> right? That, that's ridiculous. But that's often how we treat other people. That's often how we think about things. We think, man, if they come over to my house, I can give them my wisdom. On parenting or marriage because I've been married longer than them. I have older kids than them. I've been a parent longer than them. And, and, and obviously, there is benefit to life experience and wisdom that's, that's gained through the long haul. I'm not saying like it doesn't flow backwards. What I'm saying is that discipleship also flows forward. Right? We can benefit from people that are behind us in life because They've had experiences that we haven't. Right? They have joy and and vigor that we don't. You know, like if you want to feel better in your marriage, talk to newlyweds. If you want to feel better as a parent, talk to people that just had a baby. It'll make you more joyful as a parent and less frustrated by all the stuff that you're dealing with. Single people in the life of our church are not second-class citizens. Right? They're not people that we just, need to, we just need to couple them all off so that then they can really be part of things around here. I thought about starting this sermon by saying like, all right, all the single people stand up. <laughs> single people are full-fledged members of the body of Christ. And too often, us married people overlook them and exclude them and leave them out because they're not couples. And that's messed up. We don't have a lot of singles at BC. Maybe some of these things are why. But the singles that we do have are incredibly strong, faithful, wise believers. I would say some of the strongest believers we've had in the history of our church, like if we could quantify this, came in as single people. So, before we move on to the next thing, listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. So normally, like we'd read like the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 7 and go through that. But later read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 7 and you'll understand why we're not doing that. There's lots of landmines and, and we're just, we're just going to leave those alone. Uh, we're going to read more of it in a bit. But Paul has been talking here about about sexual immorality, Um, and it's in this context that he begins to talk about how that applies to married people and unmarried people. And he says, in this verse we just read, that he wishes that everybody was like him. And what he means by that is not married. But he acknowledges that God gave different people different gifts. He's not talking about spiritual gifts here. He's talking about the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. So married people, marriage is a gift but so is singleness. Single people, singleness is a gift, but so is marriage. God gives different people different gifts. But look at what he says in verse 8 to the, to the unmarried and the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, as he is. So, so if you're still kind of hung up on some of those things I said earlier about marriage not being the goal of the Christian life, Paul here says it's a good thing not to get married. Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of a progression here right? Burning with passion is bad, so getting married is better. But better than getting married is staying single and having Jesus-fueled self-control. If you can't exercise self-control, get married. If you can, it's better not to. So married people are weak. Look down at verse 25. Why does does Paul say that that singleness with self-control is better than marriage? Look down at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy... I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So we're going to walk through this next chunk a, a little bit at a time. Paul's saying here that he doesn't have a specific command from the Lord, from, from either the Old Testament or from the sayings of Jesus. He, he doesn't have that. He can't point to like a verse and say, this is where it says this. But instead, he's using his kind of Holy Spirit inspired judgment to make a statement about whether or not betrothed people should get married or stay as they are. And he says that in view of the present distress, because the church is facing persecution, they're expecting Jesus to return. He says in light of that, they should remain single. It's it's good for them to remain as they are. Now we'll pick up back up in verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. We'll talk about that next week. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. He's saying, we should not live for the present world, but for the world to come. Verse 32. Now we're getting to the reason why he says it's good for single people to remain single. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. So Paul here is saying that, that married men and women have our, our focus split, which causes anxiety and worry and stress. On the other hand, he's saying that single people live worry, stress-free, anxiety-free, carefree lives. Right? Isn't, isn't that true? Isn't that your experience? He's saying that because you're single more of your life can be wholly focused on following Jesus. You have a better shot than a married person at having undivided devotion to Jesus. Paul's not saying this to restrain you from marrying, but to encourage you uh, to, to follow Jesus in an undivided way. He makes this clear in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But, verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better." So Paul says it's a good thing to marry, but it's even better to remain single if you can do it, if you can have an undivided focus to follow Jesus. So what this is telling us, the reason why Paul says being single is a, is a good thing, is a, is a better thing than marriage, is that single people can follow Jesus with a devotion that married people cannot match. So what that means is that if we think of single people in the life of our church as second-class citizens, people who aren't as far along as us, people who who don't have as much experience, as wisdom, whatever, that's not just wrong, that's unbiblical. Because Paul is saying that they can follow Jesus with a passion that we can't match. And all of us married people are thinking, but we can't. But not really. But they're younger than us. But whatever. Paul says that single people can follow Jesus with passion that we can't. With undivided devotion. That means that those are some of the people that we should look to the most. Because they know Jesus in ways that we don't. So number one, it's not good for man to be alone, created for community. Being single doesn't mean you're alone. Number two, marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Number three, discipleship doesn't just flow backwards. In fact, Paul says kind of the opposite, that single people can be devoted to Jesus in ways that we're not. Last thought is that singleness is a picture of the gospel too. And we talk a lot about how marriage is a picture of the gospel. And it is, and we'll talk about that next week. But the reality is that singleness is a picture of the gospel also. Uh, Following Jesus and remaining unmarried demonstrates an aspect. It demonstrates the gospel in ways that marriage can't do it. Single people can do this by by following Jesus in a way that says that he is enough for the long haul. They can follow Jesus in ways that shows I'm satisfied in Jesus in ways that married people can't. They can follow Jesus by remaining faithful to him as the bride of Christ in ways that married people can't, right? They can live, uh, Self-controlled lives that abstain from marriage and abstain from sexual immorality that demonstrates a, a faithful and beautiful and a magnificent picture of the gospel and married people can't do that in the same way. Singleness is a powerful picture that points other people to Jesus. This means that we should care a whole lot about the single people in the life of our church. Not that they would find spouses, but that they would find Jesus. And if that means they find a spouse, great. But if they don't, they can still be a valuable, functional, thriving member of the life of our church that is really more beneficial and helpful than married people. Because they can do more. Because they can follow Jesus more. Because they don't have that split focus. Now, single people, I would guess, you know, like if if I'm thinking, like if I'm sitting out there and I'm single and a married person is like, hey, here's the way singleness is so great, uh, I would be thinking, well, you're just saying that because you're married. Um, Because I'm kind of a jerk listener and not a nice listener. Um... And so here's two things for you guys. First is, I would encourage you to take some time this week to to work through 1 Corinthians 7. and, And think about, like, does my life exemplify this? Like, is my life better... As a single person, because my focus from Jesus is not split. Like, am I following him with undivided devotion? Or am I just filling my focus with other things? It may not be a spouse, but maybe it's something else. And so I would encourage you to, to, to think about that and, and then ask yourself, like, well, what changes do I need to make to follow Jesus with the kind of devotion that He says I can, that Paul says I can in First Corinthians 7? And then with that, uh, like if there are ways that, that we as a church can better love and support and serve and care for single people in the life of our church, let us know. Talk talk to the elders, talk to your MC leaders, talk to, to people around you. If, if there are things that we can do to better serve you and care for you, we, we want to do that because honestly, like we, we don't think about those things a lot because like Paul says, I'm just, I'm always focused on how to please my wife. Like that's my, <laughs> it's just my number one priority in life. Um, so yeah, like if, if there are things that we can do, let us know, and also like if there are ways that you want to use your opportunities and gifts, like tell us um, because. I, I do want us to, to put single people forward in the life of our church uh, in, in teaching roles, and leadership roles, in, in other roles to, to show that like this isn't just a bunch of stuff that I'm saying. These are things that I actually think. These are things I actually believe. These are things that the Bible actually teaches. And so we want to kind of put our money where our mouth is with these things as well. The second thing is I, w- I want to remind you that, that you're not alone. I know that I, that I already said that earlier, but I, I recognize that even though maybe we have that reminder that we're not alone, that, that doesn't mean that you don't feel alone. See, the reality is, is that whether, whether you're married or you're not married, the people that are around you are going to fail you. They're going to fall short. They're going to disappoint you. And, and I would guess that, that probably happens to single people more than it happens to married people. But the good news is that Jesus won't do that to you. He, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never excludes you. He never leaves you out. He won't ever leave you alone because he's promised to always be with you. And first, or in Hebrews 4, verse 15, he says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus, in every respect and in every way, has been tempted as we are. Because of this, the author of Hebrews says, he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, in our pain, in our sorrow, in our struggles, in our grief. Jesus knows what it's like to feel alone. He was, he was deserted. He was betrayed. He was forsaken. He experienced greater loneliness than any of us will ever experience. And because he has done that, Hebrews says he knows how to sympathize with us when we feel that way. Jesus truly knows that it's not good for man to be alone. That's because of that he's promised to be with us always. also says that he was tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. He knows the struggle, the temptation, the fight. And he knows the way out. He knows the way out because he's taken all of them. Because he always took the way out. Every time he faced temptation, he found the way out and took it. And so because of that, he remains with us to help us find it. And so when you're in the depth of despair... When you're sad or stressed or anxious or or lonely, when you feel like you are alone and you feel and know deeply that it's not good for man to be alone, know that you're not alone because Jesus is with you. He came and lived a life in your place. He endured loneliness in your place. He died a death in your place so that he could buy you back into relationship with himself and into relationship with other people as as part of his body. He came to bring you into a new kind of life with him. And so in those moments, remember you're not alone and that Jesus is there with you and for you. And your church is here and we are for you. We want single people to thrive and grow in the life of our church. Whether that means you stay single or whether that means you get married. if There are things, single people, that after this you think, you know, I want to tell Dan about how wrong he is about this thing. Like, I would love to have those conversations. And I, Dion and I had a conversation this week and it was really helpful for me to think through this stuff uh, with someone who is actively single um, And so if if there are thoughts that you have, if you want to talk more about how you can fit into body life at BC as a single person, I would love to have those conversations. Uh, But let's pray, and then we'll move on to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you that you came down here, and you followed your Father with undivided devotion. You have given us an example of what it means to to remain faithful over the long haul. Of how we can be be fruitful and multiply in in different ways than we're previously previously thought of. Jesus, we thank you for the reminder that 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 heaven isn't about us and what we would want there, but it's about you and what you want for us. Thank you that. that Paul makes it clear to us that that singleness is not a curse, like it was previously thought, but that single people aren't alone in the body of Christ. They're part of a family and can flourish. That it's even better to remain single because of how your spirit can work in them to follow you with a passion that that married people cannot match. We pray that for us today, whether we're we're single or married, that your spirit would work in us to help us to to value those around us as members of the body of Christ. That we would not think that we're better because we're further along or because of whatever reasons we might give for that, but that we would recognize that, that you have given different gifts to different people in your church so that we might benefit from one another regardless of who's across the table from us. Jesus, we pray, pray now that as we, as we continue in our service together that you would help us to respond rightly, to, to worship you and praise you for, for who you are and what you've done for us.